welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me, as always, is Court Winsett. Happy to be here, Katie. <laughs> and Cameron Spann. Good afternoon. What are we going to talk about, boys? We are going to talk about your area of expertise, Katie. My area of expertise? What Behavioral we... finance. Oh, I thought Specifically... you were going to say being mental. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about mental accounting. A little psychology, a little uh, little mind words. <laughs> yes, we've promised that there are a lot that goes into the behavioral finance because, uh, hey, everyone's finally realizing that money is emotional. Money has a lot of thought to it. You may have mentioned that once or twice Maybe, before. <laughs> yeah. And there actually is a rhyme or reason to why we behave the way we behave around finances. Yeah, so we uh, we thought that this week, since we're doing another episode of behavioral finance, but we haven't really ever touched on this particular topic in our in our list, we would do a list this week of the top pop culture psychologists. That's right, the top shrinks. The top people who doctor your brain. I'll admit, uh, Court really handled this list, and obviously most of these I didn't pay attention to who the the shrink was on these shows. To be fair, I feel like she's throwing me under the bus. Like, if this list stinks, guys, it's not my fault. No, it's it's kind of going back to the episode where we talked about the actuaries and how no one really knew that those characters were an actuary. And so yeah. some of these, it's like, oh yeah, there was a therapist on that movie or there was that person. Yeah. But you did forget somebody on here, but don't worry, I'll, I'll bring it up at the end. You you should you should definitely bring it up because I was, I was honestly, I was struggling toward the end there. All right, you started off. Obviously, I have to start it off because it's way before yours and Cameron's time. It's called. It's a movie called Ordinary People, and uh, the therapist in question is Doctor Tyrone Berger. It was played by a guy named Judd Hirsch. He was actually nominated for an Oscar for this role in the movie. He was nominated against the his co-star in the movie, Timothy Hutton. They were both nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Timothy Hutton won. <laughs> Timothy Hutton played a a kid who was involved in, a, I think, a boating accident with his brother. Uh, his brother died. He, he tried to take his own life, and um, then his parents had him go to see this therapist. And it's, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting movie. It's one that I hadn't thought about in a long time until I started trying to do this list. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, Robert Redford, I think it was the first movie he ever directed. So it's a, it's a good movie, but it is an oldie. It was, <laughs> I mean, kind of an oldie. It came out in 1980, so... <laughs> Eight years before way, us, Cam. Way before our time. <laughs> Do I have the next one? Yeah. Is that what we want? Okay. It's a current show, Russian Doll, on Netflix. Uh, Ruth Brenner uh, plays a therapist who is more like a friend or family member than a therapist to the main character. Now, I will say, I have never seen this show, mm. but I know the premise. Isn't it kind of like Groundhog Day? Yeah. But she she continuously dies? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she di- I think, I mean, it's almost like Groundhog Day meets uh, South Park or something like that, because she <laughs> dies at the end of every every episode. Or beginning of every episode, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a feel-good show. It's, I mean, it's it's an interesting concept. It really is. Um, I, I'm intrigued by it, but honestly, I haven't watched more than a few episodes. So, you know, it could be that the therapist completely drops out of the picture after a little while, and I just didn't know <laughs> it because I didn't see it. Okay, well, I'm glad to get this one because I actually was having a discussion with my six-year-old niece about uh, this individual, Robin Williams, mm-hmm. and was very shocked that she didn't know who he was. And my brother wanted to remind me that she is six. And I said, I don't care. Everyone should know who Robin Williams is. He's the genie. Come on. That's what I said. He's genie. And then we happened to that same day we were in Disney. We happened to go to the Figment ride. Uh And if you go into the Figment ride, they've got on the wall 
the um, the Hall of Inventors. Mm. And so you have Rick Moranis, Robin Williams for Flubber, Flubber. Mm-hmm. and then the, the guy that created Figment. Mm. Yeah, no, um, this is this is one of Robin's tour de force performances. I mean, Good, Good Will Hunting, Hunting is, yes. Sean McGuire. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a great, great... Um, Great, great role. I, I, I great he, movie. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I think he won. I think he won Best Supporting Actor for this movie. I think, I think so. so. And plus, you get to see Baby Matt Damon and Baby Ben Affleck. Yeah. And Mini Driver. Yeah, Mini Driver's in it. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Okay, so next is again. I was pulling some out of out of thin air almost. Uh, there, there was a there was a psychiatrist in Mad Men, and I'm not talking about the one in the, in season one. Where uh, if you've seen Mad Men, Don Draper like calls his wife's psychiatrist, and his wife's psychiatrist totally breaks a client doctor patient doctor uh, confidentiality and tells Don Draper all about what's going on with his wife. I'm talking about the uh, the psychiatrist that they sent their daughter to. Oh yeah, um, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was caught doing something at a sleepover, and the parent that caught her got really really angry and and sent her home, and so. What is her name? Sally Draper? Sally. Yep. Later became Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> they 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 had her go to uh had her go to a therapist. And the therapist actually like did some good and helped Sally out. I think that that was when we really honestly honestly that's when I really started to like Kiernan Shipka and the character of Sally. Mm-hmm. Before yeah. that, I had not really been all that fond of her. I see dead people. Oh, of yes. course, the Sixth Sense. Uh, Bruce Willis playing Malcolm Crow. Very, very Such classic a good movie. The Sixth Sense was. I didn't put the year. Oh, I'm man. assuming like ninety nine or ninety nine, right? Ninety eight, ninety nine. I, I don't know off Something the top of my like head. I, I, was, I was trying to put the year for everything. I don't know why I didn't put the year for that, but that was a movie that absolutely. You know, I did not see it coming. No, nobody saw that. Caught one me coming. absolutely flat footed. Nineteen ninety nine. Wow, very cool. Okay, here's another one. Dr. Fraser Crane. Fraser. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's if you haven't seen Fraser, you need to go check it out. It's a great show. I mean, okay, sorry. <laughs> I guess I guess this is another older show that y'all aren't necessarily, but Frasier was an absolute classic. I mean, yeah. and of course he can't. He started it as a character uh, on Cheers, on Cheers, and then got spun off into his own series. He and his brother Niles both were psychiatrists. He played a radio psychiatrist, and uh, it was funny. It was a funny yeah, it was show. a great show. Yeah, I've seen it, but it was a little before my time. Yeah. Same era as Mad About You. Uh, which yeah. is one of my that's great. That's one of mine and Robin's. That's not one of the streaming shows. shows. No. Okay. Uh, Doctor Jennifer Melfi. I get a good one. Uh, have y'all seen Sopranos? Katie is bowing her head in shame. It's on. Okay. It is on my list to watch, and I try and watch it every time I'm on an airplane. And then I don't know if you remember back from the first season though, but like the first season, there is a lot of nudity, and when yes. you're on an airplane, it's really uncomfortable watching that and like thinking people around you are judging because you're just there's like strippers on the screen and it's like I, I swear I'm just watching The Sopranos yeah and I would totally like say oh Katie don't worry about that people aren't interested in what you're watching they're you know they're doing their own thing they're watching their own thing but I totally sit on the plane <laughs> yes. and watch other people's yes. screens <laughs> so Dr. Jennifer Melfi yeah. psychiatrist that taught that that uh, treated Tony Soprano for all of the seasons of The Sopranos and uh of course, their relationship was was uh, an absolute cornerstone of that TV show. Very successful. Loved it. I've got a double whammy. Dr. Charles Kroger and Dr. Nevin Bell from Monk. Have you all seen show? Monk? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I, I was starting to feel bad that none of these shows were like... <laughs> <laughs> Monk is, uh, is, is a staple in our household. 
So this is Dr. Lillian Thurman from Donnie Darko. Uh, I will tell you that when I had my job at the Orpheum promoting all the summer movie series, I dressed up for Donnie Darko and like embraced the whole thing. Like you dressed up as the bunny? I, yeah, I dressed up as the bunny, had like a black shirt and had done the skeleton everything. I've still never seen the movie. <laughs> that movie is a fever dream. It is weird. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy. And quite honestly, I, I don't know, I don't really remember much about his relationship with his psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Lillian Thurman, but I just wanted to put it on the list because it's Donnie Darko and it, you need a psychiatrist after you see that movie. <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, so finally, and this one is, yeah, this one is an old one, but uh, it's Dr. Susan Lowenstein, and it's Barbara Streisand, played by Barbara Streisand. This is a movie that actually came out in 1991, and uh, I put it on there because I was like, well, of course everybody's heard of uh, Prince of Tides, but then I started thinking about it, and I was like, oh, these guys may not have heard of it. So again, I'm sorry, I went a little bit back there in history, but uh, anybody that's my age remembers The Prince of Tides because it was a huge smash hit for, for Barbara Streisand and Nick Nolte, who I'm not a really big giant fan of, if I'm being honest, but... It was, it was a highly successful movie. Okay, go ahead and do your honorable mentions. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. So on, I just wanted to throw some out there that didn't make the list, but are related to or involving psychiatrists in some way. Of course, there's Equus, which was also a play. I think it might, I think it was actually a play before it was a movie, which is all about a psychiatrist and his relationship with a, a young man that he's treating who, um, as the name might imply, uh, killed a horse so anyway uh next is a tv show called in treatment i don't know much about this i've never seen it but it's a whole show dedicated to therapy sessions so i figured it was probably worth throwing on the honorable mention girl interrupted of course was girls in a psych ward i think angelina jolie was mm -hmm. nominated for an oscar for that one awakenings see i figured i would pick one of uh of of robin williams movies and this is the second one so i didn't want to put it in the main list but Action. he plays a psychiatrist who's trying to cure some people who are basically in a vegetative state because of encephalitis or something like that and then finally it's a kind of a funny story i showed uh cameron a clip from this movie not many people have heard of it it's actually a more recent movie it wasn't very popular when it came out but for some reason it really stuck with me so i put it on there it's it's another patience in a psych ward kind of movie See, but what you're forgetting is the first one that came to my mind, and I guess it's because it's recent, but uh, I think the biggest shocker of who the therapist was in the new Matrix movie, uh, Neil Patrick want, Harris. Yeah. Okay, spoiler alert. I was, I was about to say it, and then I'm like, hmm. I feel like at this point, if you really were a dedicated Matrix person, you would have seen this by now already. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris will always be Barney to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, can't, awesome. I can't see him as anything other than, than Barney Stinson at this point. Uh, and then finally, just just to throw it out there, um, technically not a psychiatrist, and this was supposed to be a list of all about psychiatrists, but Nurse Ratched from um, from One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, obviously, that's another movie based in a psych ward uh, <laughs> with Jack Nicholson, and um, Nurse Ratched's got to be one of the most famous. I, I don't even know like how to describe her, but she's certainly the villain of the movie. <laughs> I feel like there was a, probably a good therapist in High Anxiety, the Mel Brooks movie. There had to be one. Because I know there was Cone Boobs, the nurse, and somebody had to have been a crazy therapist yeah. in that. 
Okay, so why are we talking about therapists and psychiatrists and all of this? And yeah, that was actually kind of a long list, wasn't it? It, it was a long list. Okay. But the, the thing is, is it plays into that really when you're talking to somebody, and I've, I've had to talk about this a lot recently. When you are opening up to someone about your finances, you are talking to them about what you need help with, what your current situation is, what you want your future situation with, you're almost very much opening up like you would with a psychiatrist. And I'm actually taking a master's program and there is a lot of conversation about the link between a financial advisor and a therapist and how it's one of those that you know, for the most part, a therapist would never try and give financial advice and a financial advisor should never try and give therapy advice. But they kind of blend together much more so on the financial side with the therapy of it. I think back to the conversation we had with Keiki when Mm. we talked about, she asked the question of, well, what if I want to go out with friends? What if I want to, you know, I, I have an addiction that if there's something on sale, I want to buy it. And Court, you kind of were like, just don't do it. And obviously, I know that was a joke. You were being funny. You obviously can relate to your daughter. But it's taking that kind of therapy side of it and saying, okay, I recognize that this is something that we need to work on together, that we need to figure out what works for you. We need to dive a little bit deeper. Why do you enjoy doing the buying sale items? Why do you feel you need to be able to, anytime somebody calls, have the money to go shopping or go out for drinks? And so that's where it kind of gets into the behavioral side of it. Maybe understanding what was your upbringing? What have been the missteps? What is what has happened in your past? And so there's so many different behavioral biases that are out there. I really hope that over the next, you know, couple months or so, we're going to kind of go through some of these different ones. But one of them is called mental accounting. And you're like, okay, so in my head, I'm doing accounting work, right? Is that what that is? <laughs> no. So <laughs> we're all CPAs at heart. <laughs> <laughs> we're figuring out the taxes and everything and in our head and going, okay, yeah, so this will hit me this way. No, 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 we're not doing that. It's basically where you categorize money in your head as, oh, well, this is this category of money and therefore I can do this, this, and this with it. And this is this category of Mm -hmm. money. And, you know, it's ways that you mentally start treating your money differently. I mean, it's a theory. Mental accounting theory was introduced in 1999. It's a concept in behavioral economics that states the importance of money and its impact that each individual attaches to the available funds is based upon subjective criteria and can result in irrational spending. And so it really is the bucket approach that we've talked about on so many episodes of you saying, okay, I mean, how many of y'all have like an emergency $20 or $100 in your car or in your wallet or something like that. You know I don't have my life together, Katie. <laughs> I grew up knowing that. And so I have attached to that money, that is the emergency money. It's there. It's available. That's emergency money. So that's a way of doing it. Here's some examples of mental accounting that you may not be thinking about. Tax refund mm-hmm. and how people mentally go, oh, okay, well, when that tax refund money comes in, that is going to be for X, Y, Z. It's going to be for a new toy. It's Mm going to be to pay off my credit card. So you and your head have already allocated that. Yeah. And so you do that every month. Whether you know you're doing it or not, you're allocating money. I was talking to a client the other day and they said, well, once a week we we allocate each of us get $100 to spend to go do whatever we want to do. So they're mental accounting. They are saying this money, it's not like they're sitting there putting it in their bank account. This $100 is dedicated to this person. No, but mentally they're separating it. Birthday money. 
that's kind of free money, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely am guilty of taking my birthday money in and saying like, okay, I can spend this on something frivolous and stupid because even though I might have bills to pay, this is my birthday money, and you're not supposed to use your birthday money to pay bills, right? And then also, like on the flip side of that, so you use something fun with it, but do you kind of get where you expect it? Oh, Aunt Sue's going to always give me $100 for my birthday. What if you've mentally thought, oh, I'm going to buy this because I'm always going to get this money, and then Aunt Sue doesn't give you the money? I will say that I've always not taken for granted that money was coming. It's just kind of the same thing as, as like a, a performance bonus at work or, a, you know, some, something like that. I always assume birthday money, bonuses, stuff like that is not going to happen. I don't account for that as part of my revenue overall. You're not everybody. Yeah, I'm not everybody. <laughs> you said another one on the list bonuses you think about it you you get that bonus check and do you really want to be responsible and be like oh that can go towards the car note or that can go towards the kid's education well clark griswold was going to put his toward a pool but yeah he ended up with a jelly of the month club instead of a real bonus he screwed up in that situation because he had already started working on it put the deposit down before he was guaranteed that money was going to be there but yeah, it, it's kind of one of those, it's it's hard to, mentally you think about this money as fun money, and you haven't switched it to go, oh, okay, when I get that bonus money, maybe I'll mentally split it and say, X goes to fun, X goes towards paying off a debt, and X goes towards something else. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about how broke they were. And I said, well, maybe don't spend all your money on this silly stuff, and you won't be broke. And they were like, I don't spend any of my money on that stuff. That's all money that I got from other people. You know, that, that that's that's gifts. That's what, and I'm like, it's still money that you could use to not be broke, but you're using it on silly stuff instead. But that's mental account. That is yeah, a prime example absolutely. of mental accounting. Oh, but this is, you know, money for mom and dad, or this is money that I make on my tips and I'm spending on shoes or yeah. other things. You think about it, you attach the money you make. Okay, you know, Cam, you made this money this week from Pickler. You made this money over here from doing a little side hustle, making a graphic design. But at the end of the day, I'm sure your wife is going to be like, that's all money that's coming into the household to pay Mm. bills. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. Any money I make from graphic design, I don't consider that fun money. That goes directly into savings or paying a bill because Abby and I share a bank account. It simplifies things, but basically her money's mine, my money is hers. And so we're both on the the same page of what what is fun money? Yeah. (laughs) We we have to save. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, another example of mental accounting, um, the amount of money that is affordable to lose. And so this kind of goes with our risk that a lot of times people will have a number in their head. So you would feel comfortable, not that anybody's comfortable losing money, but you would feel okay if you lost, you know, $3,000, And I think you kind of do that when you go to a casino. Yeah, absolutely. That's you, exactly what I was thinking. You sit in your head, okay, I'm going out with the boys. I'm going to have fun. I've got $100 in my pocket that I can afford to lose, or I've got this much. And I think people do that with shopping too. They think, or Christmas shopping, like I've got this much money allocated that I can spend on other people. And if you go over that, then you're having to get into other buckets. And I think that's kind of what we talked about with Cakey is that if you mentally set each month, I can spend $400 on frivolous stuff. Then if you go over your $400 in the first three days of the month, you have to determine, are you going to dip into those other buckets, which is rent, utilities, food, 
Lottery winnings, obviously, nobody should ever really count on winning the lottery. Yeah, I know. If I win the lottery, I'm totally blowing it on whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Buy a house in Aspen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but see, middle accounting is something that you don't think about that you're doing it, but you are. And guess what? Marketing has gotten all on top of this. They know that you're doing this. They know that you've got that fun money budget or you've got this opportunity. So they're going to play into that. And sorry to bust your bubble here, but uh, marketing people are not always looking for your best interest. <laughs> no. They're <laughs> they looking for themselves. They're just trying to tap into your psyche. So, I mean, they can design appropriate sales and marketing strategies upon learning of the weaknesses in customers. So like Sarah Jessica Parker went to their store, bought a lot of shoes. Now they keep sending me emails and emails and emails. New sales, new designs, everything. Think about price tags when it comes to marketing. $29.99 sounds way better than $30 even. It does. I mean, when you when you sit and think about it, of course, you know it's one penny difference. Mm-hmm. But when you're just spotting things, it's like, ooh, that's a deal. I mm-hmm. want that. Yeah. I mean, to go back to that uh, rationalizing spending episode that was really just a roast of me. But it, it's true. It's you, you, you sit there and you can rationalize in your head. Oh, okay, yeah, but I'm getting a deal. Go into Costco. Costco will get you. Oh, yeah, look, it's on sale. I can buy this. Do you really need 50 of that? Are you, are you sure? Do you really need 50 jars of ketchup? <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the marketing is definitely playing to the weaknesses of customers, trying to convince them they need to buy things. With the help of this marketing, Um, Different markets can have products that are to customers in various ways. Most common method is offering their goods and services at discounts. Since the customers are unaware of how mental arithmic works, they fall into the marketing trickery and make unnecessary purchases. That sounds so much better. Like, oh, the marketing trickery. Like, oh, no, we're not. We're not frauding you. We're just tricking you. Gentle trickery. I mean, it even assists marketers in building a strong customer base. So if you are in the business side of it, then mental accounting is something you need to look into. (laughs) If you're on the consumer side of it, please be aware of your mental accounting. Behavioral finance, it's considered a bias. And Mm -hmm. that, that, that sort of has a negative connotation to it. This isn't... This isn't necessarily good. It's not necessarily something you want to do. I mean, if you ideally, you're going to treat all money that you have exactly the same. It's all money that needs to go toward your bills. Whatever your budget is, that you, any money that comes in can go to go to paying off those bills or go into your emergency account. Or you can, you know, you can have money that is your fun money, but the amount of fun money that you have maybe doesn't need to change just because you got money from a, a source that you would normally value differently mm-hmm. than, say, the salary that you get from your job. I will tell you one of the worst, um, I deal with this, and I know my cousin has this problem too, the idea that you front load things, you pay for things, you cover, you know, like, say, if you were a mom, you cover the expenses for the cheer team or something like that. And then you start getting checks in from those people reimbursing you. A lot of people, myself included, have a hard time remembering that is reimbursement money. That is money you have already spent. That is not new money coming in. Mm -hmm. But in your head, you're going, oh, oh, you know, Court's giving me 20 bucks and, you know, Cam's giving me 50 bucks and whatever. Like, 
No, that is reimbursing. Same with the tax refund. That is giving you your money back. That is not new money. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with that because I, I ordered, I designed and ordered decals for a neighborhood for golf carts and cars and everything. Mm-hmm. And I had, of course, spend my own money to get those. And yeah. now people are Venmoing like crazy. And mentally, I see my Venmo. I'm like, oh, I've made all this new money. But I'm like, oh, no, nope. uh, this is just reimbursement. But see, that that happened. It's natural for us to think money's coming in that you know, you hadn't thought about, oh, having, you know, a hundred bucks coming in to you, but you got to take a step back and go, I already spent that money. Mm-hmm. That's money coming back. And to, yeah, your point, Court, is that you need to, we value the money that we worked hard for. I worked hard for this money. And, and it does suck mm-hmm. when you've worked hard for something. You've created a product and then you have to turn around and spend that money on bills. But that's where if you have extra money coming in, it's that balanced approach of a little bit here, a little bit there. And so you still get to enjoy it. But having the skew of money that isn't per se earned, but is gifted to you is not usable for real stuff. (laughs) That's not right. Middle accounting often leads people to make irrational investment decisions and behave in financially counterproductive or detrimental ways, such as funding a low interest savings account while carrying large credit card balances. Yeah, we harp on that all the time. Why are you putting your money away into savings if you've got 20,000 of credit card debt over here? And and that's that's charging you a ton of interest. But see, that's where diving into all this behavioral finance, I'm understanding this. And this is where we talked about the therapist because we need to understand why. So do you feel, have you gotten in a position where you didn't have enough cash and you were in a bad position? Okay, but understand that you are actually costing yourself more money because yes, it's great. You've listened to our podcast. You've got your emergency fund. You're good to go, but you're getting eaten alive with 18% credit card interest Mm -hmm. rates. So it's better to take a step back, take a dip into your emergency fund, pay off those credit cards, figure out why did you get yourself into credit card debt to begin with, and then start building back up that emergency fund. And I can tell you from personal experience that you think to yourself, oh, but you know, if I blow the savings, then I'll, you know, I'll never get it back again. I'll great, my, my credit cards will be paid off, but then I'm not gonna have any savings and what once you pay off high, high credit card debts, it becomes painfully obvious just how much money you're saving by not having to pay those ridiculous interest rates on a monthly basis. Because suddenly you're, you just don't have that debt anymore and it's not costing you all that additional money and you can make your savings back that much quicker. Yeah. It shocked me when we got all of our credit cards paid off, all of a sudden we just, we had money that was we could put away into savings and it wasn't hard and even if we use our credit card we can pay it off at the end of every month and it it was it just made life so much simpler i've heard about your banking situation cam that you and abby have a combined one court i don't know about you guys but daniel and i have a joint account and then we have our separate accounts and it's like i have one that is separate for my event planning business i have one that is my separate fund money and he has his own separate fund money and i think that both of us still despite you know, we, we understand it, but we have, that money is different in our minds. That's like, oh, we really don't want to tap into that money. And it's not that any of us ever think we're going to go anywhere, but it's kind of one of those, like, that's my escape money. If I ever needed my escape money. So that's a form of mental accounting that you look at it. If you inherited money from somebody, um, I know that we were talking to a client the other day 
they have inherited money from their mother and it is supposed to be used for a kid's education. So they're wanting to set up an entire separate account where that money is not commingled with any other money just so they can preserve that separately. Despite it being that, you know, maybe if you combine it with the rest, then it's larger amounts of money growing. It'll work a little bit faster, but you've got to know what fits you. So all mental accounting isn't bad. It's just being aware of how you organize your funds. It's really a, it's an evaluation. It's a keeping track of what's going on. It's instead of you writing it on paper, it's mental as the name says, and it's the value that you're giving to these different things, but you don't realize it. And so, you know, for instance, some people keep a special money jar or that emergency fund or Um, I mean, we don't have change as much anymore, but think about you pulling all your change out and I I still have a couple of jars that has change in it. What kind of value do you put on that change usually? It's just kind of like chunk change until you're saving for a vacation or something. You're like, oh, let's go cash that baby in and that Mm -hmm. can pay for two drinks. (laughs) Sort of a, sort of a simple point. How many times have you heard the story of uh, somebody that you know that's like, oh yeah, we, you know, anytime we get home and we have change in our pockets or we find change in the sofa or whatever, we put it in this jar over here and then, you know, once every six months we empty the jar and we have a big night out. That's great. And I I don't think that that's necessarily a negative practice because it's it's another way of saving, but it's not entirely logical because if you were to, if you were to take it to its, its most logical level, then you would take that money and invest it somewhere or, or put it somewhere where it could actually earn you interest. Mm-hmm. When, it, when it's just in a jar, it's just sitting there in a jar. It's, it's not earning you anything. It's like putting money under your mattress. Yeah. Yes, it is safe. So long as somebody doesn't break into your house and immediately go to look under your mattress, because that's the first thing I would do if I was robbing somebody is go look under their mattress. But it's so it's safe. You're not going to lose any money from falling stocks or falling interest rates or whatever. But you're not keeping up with inflation, though. <laughs> but it's not growing. It's just sitting there. And if you're fine with that, then just yeah. be aware of yeah. it. Just I'm just saying, you know, it's not necessarily always a, a reason to not do something just because it, what you're doing isn't the most logical thing, I think. If, it, if a jar of, of quarters works for you, then it's not the most logical treatment of your money. But it, if it works and it's a, it's a fun little thing that you get to do once every six months or something, great. But just understand that you're just classifying that money differently because it makes you feel good in your brain. <laughs> so I will tell you, one of the coolest light bulb moments I've seen doing financial plans with people is when we talk about the vacation fund. And how this is a true mental accounting and how we're telling people, okay, is traveling of value to you? How much do you want to spend in a year? You know, five, ten thousand dollars what do you want to spend? And then we tell them, okay, if it's important to you, what you need to do is you need to make it a budget. You need to save every month that dollar amount to reach your goal. So whether it's a hundred, five hundred dollars a month, and you have that money go into Depending on your discipline, it either needs to go in a separate account so you don't touch it, or it could just be in the same account and you know that's what you're doing and that money is growing for you. But every month you're saying, okay, I'm putting away money for my vacation. Then you go on your vacation, you go and you don't have to worry about expenses because you've you've been saving all year long for this vacation. Put it on a credit card, get those points and perks, come back, drain that vacation fund, pay off the credit card, and you know what you do when you come back? You start it again. That is a form of mental accounting that you every month are mentally putting money away for that vacation. With investments with people, we talk to them about, okay, you know, somebody says, I want to I invest 
what do you want this money to do? And that's where, you know, sometimes we will actually name the accounts that way, but there's a lot of mental that goes into it of, okay, this one over here is a safer investment. That's, you know, very liquid, very low return that we're getting, but that's the money that I may need in six months or a year. But I want to have some play money where I can just invest in some yeah. some speculative. Like I want to buy Bitcoin, and that's 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 my money that I know I can be more risky with. And mm. that's where we tell people, okay, look at that. Is if you lose it, you lose it, but don't try and mess with your precious assets of college funds or retirement funds. And heck, we've got a lot of really young people that are making great money right now, don't have families and have these grandiose um, entrepreneurial ideas. And so I'm talking to them about starting a budget line now, putting money away for their dream account, whether it be a down payment, a future business, whatever it could be. And so that is a form of you're mentally just saying that money is going away. So then in five, 10 years, I've put away this money over here. I'm not touching this money because that's going to be for my XYZ. Now, on the flip side of this, when someone comes to us, and this is why it's important that you have a relationship with your financial advisor and that it's not just a transactional, because when a situation happens, when life happens, an emergency comes up and you're faced with a large dollar thing, that is where you have the conversation and say, okay, Katie Court, we need $50,000 where should we take this money from? And that's where you sit there and look at it. And yes, you may have had this money in your savings account that's your emergency fund, or you may have this money that's your dream account that's not supposed to be touched in 10 years. But depending on the market, depending on your current situation, depending on what's going to be best overall, you may have to dip into your dream account or dip into your emergency fund or dip into different areas depending on what's going to be best at that time. And so that's where you're kind of having to break that middle and be okay that, yeah, you know, my car just got destroyed, but it's better for me to pull a little bit out of the dream account than work on building it back up then put it on a credit card that's making 18% interest that I'm going to get hit with. It's complicated. And so that's where it's, you, you need a partner. You need that financial psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not saying that we are, we are anywhere near a psychiatrist or a therapist, but it's just kind of... No, I have no medical training <laughs> no, whatsoever. No, no, no. <laughs> but it, it's, you know, it's understanding what you're willing to lose, what you're willing to risk, what's your, what are your priorities, and those change. And it's, you know, me without kids, my mental accounting of how my money is allocated will be very different than when I have kids. And you may have funds allocated that's for, you know, Cam may have funds allocated for his daughter's wedding. And that's going to be, he's got that money aside. Oh, we've saved that money for her wedding. Ah, my goodness. (laughs) I just, whoo, I don't even want to think about it. Mm. Okay. We got a little list here. Um, The following are the advantages of mental accounting. Hmm, Advantages. I mean, we've kind of talked some negatives, but let's, let's get some positives. So it can help an individual meet investment-related goals. When a certain amount of money is invested in a retirement account, that money can be used by the account holder for spending purposes. In this way, they can skip unnecessary expenditures and save the same money for the future. Okay, okay, next. It helps in the identification and classification of every single goal. It allows retailers, marketers, and individuals to focus on every plan. Investors can review and assess the performance of their investments from time to time. And it helps marketers in building a strong relationship with their buyers. <laughs> so there's that. Right. <laughs> and here's some disadvantages. 
Uh, it causes individuals to treat money received from different sources differently. Individuals might feel the urge to spend the inherited money faster than the money earned as a salary. That That's what we were talking about. Yeah. yeah it's You look at it differently. It encourages individuals to spend money on useless things and activities. <laughs> Back to those marketers. Yeah. <laughs> it enables individuals to keep too much money as a cash emergency instead of investing the same or using the same to repay high interest debts. Mm. And it results in financial inflexibility, too, um, where individuals cannot realize and adjust their goals and budgets based on um, updated financial information. If your circumstances change, but you treat everything in a certain way because of the way that you think about the money that's coming in, you can't ever realign your financial goals to whatever your new financial reality is. I'm posing a question here for you. Would you drive <laughs> 20 minutes out of your way to save $5 on a $15 calculator? No. 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 Would you drive the same distance to save $5 on a $125 leather jacket? <laughs> no. No. I would order both of them from Amazon and be done with it. I yeah. wouldn't drive anywhere. <laughs> so it says 68% of respondents would drive to get the calculator, but only 29% for the leather jacket. On the surface, the result is illogical. The savings is the same, $5 in both cases. The decision seems to be based on the concept of getting a deal. One third off of an inexpensive calculator is more powerful motivated than a 4% of a leather jacket. So that goes back to the whole driving out of your way to go to Costco to get a little bit of cheaper gas or buying large quantities of things even though, because it's a deal, even though you know you're not going to use it all before it expires. Mm -hmm. I do want to clarify because I think I kind of misspoke on my first advantage that money cannot be used by account holders. I think I said can, but it's cannot. Good so, catch, Katie. Yes. When a certain amount of money is invested in a retirement plan, that money cannot be used for any other purposes. Same with that money that is invested in other things. It cannot be used. Thanks. It's kind of a way of, um, what do you think about, uh, what is it called, a governor on your car? Is that what it's called? Yes, yes. So That, the that, that keeps you from going the over a certain speed. The governor keeps you from going over a certain speed in a car. So it's kind of that saving discipline. And that's where I tell people that who end up, you know, opening up accounts with us, I say we can set up an automatic contribution that it's systematic. It automatically comes out and invest for you. But obviously you have the power. You can call and say, hey, let's stop it. Let's pause it. Let's adjust it, whatever. But you think about those automatic bills. It's just kind of, it happens. Mm -hmm. And if I told you every month you had to call me and say, hey, pull $20 into my investment account. How likely are you going to do it? Versus if we just set it up automatically, then it's much harder to stop doing that. So it is kind of governing yourself. Hey, this is just, this is, this is the best thing for you. Just stop it. Let us, let us focus. Let us do this for you. It's a way of controlling it. Helping your better self. So then it's like, oh, nope, I, I, I can't buy that crazy shirt or those shoes because I've got money that's being allocated in different directions right now. I mean, mental accounting also, I was, as y'all were reading this list, I was thinking about how a lot of times people who are in jobs that have high commissions, then they will mentally make sure their living expenses stay with just that base salary and that anything extra, those extra commissions they get, that is just icing on the cake. And that is a good approach because it's protecting you from thinking any of the extra money is, you're not counting on it. So that, that's a, another advantage of thinking about it that way, really being realistic and not every month expecting to get a $10,000 bonus commission, whatever it may be. Are you chomping at the bit to bullseye, Katie? Me? 
Always. I'm always bullseye before I bullseye. Well, let's do that bullseye, shall we? Sure. Okay. Uh, I guess I will bullseye since I already started bullseye. You're probably listening to this episode going, yeah, y'all have already talked about all of this. And really, we have throughout the entire podcast, all these episodes, but we wanted you to know this term because it is a jargon term, mental accounting. And now you can recognize when you're doing these things that it is mental accounting. It is you putting value and putting a purpose associated with your different buckets of money and where it's coming from and what it's going to be doing for you. So it's something that everyone does. And uh, I'd say maybe beware that marketers are very well aware of this as well. Just know it's out there and know that it's something that is constantly evolving and your mental accounting that you do today should be different in a couple years, five years, 10 years as your life changes. Bullseye. Okay, so mine is a little bit broader. I just want to, you know, I, I want to, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second. I'm going to tell you that one of the most important, most highly valued things to me in a human being is self-awareness. I like people who are self-aware and it, it really rubs me the wrong, wrong way when someone lacks any sort of self-awareness. It drives me absolutely crazy. And, um, you know, financial uh, financial self-awareness is, is just as important as as every other kind of self-awareness that one can have so just be aware of the way that you're thinking about money and you know is there something that's illogical about the way you're thinking about money or is there you know does it does it make sense with to really treat money the way you're treating it because of whatever bias you may have just think about it put some thought into it and uh and you might you might find that you can improve the way that you handle all of your finances and just generally be self-aware and make court happy bullseye for mine i want to double down on what katie opened the show with the kind of the correlation between a therapist and a financial mm-hmm. advisor because i've been thinking this through my head both anchor their clients to reality Mm -hmm. for a financial advisor you know their clients may think they're doing way better than they are financially or they think there's no hope and they can't get out of it and so a financial advisor will help they they have all the tools and resources they need to help guide you so financial advisors are awesome you know you should consider one because they can help you achieve your dreams Well, what do you know? There's the closing bell. Ladies and gentlemen, you've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast podcast. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast delivered directly to your favorite listening device every single Thursday at noon. If you'd like to find out more about Katie, Cameron, and Court, feel free to go to our website. That's bullcastpodcast.com. You can check out our bios. You can leave us a message. You can suggest a topic. We will uh, certainly happily respond to anything that we get from you. We also have pictures on Instagram. That Instagram handle is at bullcastpodcast. And we have words on Twitter. We like to do the tweeting on the Twitters with the handle at bullcastpodcast. Finally, we have mentioned uh, over the many, many years that we've been doing this that we work at a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about our team, our boss, David Pickler, and what it is we do over here in Collierville, Tennessee, please feel free to go to that website. That is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ladies and gentlemen, we have given of ourselves today. I hope you enjoyed. For now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. And we're done. We'll be right back.